0: It's quite something that we find ourselves in the midst of Lent as we encounter this strange time in our lives. I was listening this week to a pastor who was speaking about the season that we find ourselves in, and they actually described it in pretty fitting terms. They said, how do you prepare for life's big events? Just like a wedding or a commencement speech. And we could put in here a global pandemic. Right? These events, this, this pastor said, require planning and preparation and foresight. We have to think ahead. Just like this, our hearts also need to be prepared for the most significant spiritual seasons. And this is the purpose of Lent. Lent is a dress rehearsal for difficult times. This is one reason why Christians throughout the centuries have forced themselves to face Lent each year. We do this because we know that we are dust, and eventually to dust our bodies will return. And reminding ourselves this helps us to, and as we'll see today, feast on the true and living hope because we don't face Lent without seeing on the horizon Easter Sunday. We face this difficult uh, spiritual season learning to hold on to hope, hope that isn't rooted in, in human cure, but in, in a heavenly savior. And, and we aren't the only people that have found ourselves hungry for a cure. You know, as we open up the Gospel of John this morning and find this story about Jesus talking to the crowds and to his disciples about bread from heaven, we find that they are also asking the same questions that we are today. And so in this passage, we, we see two things, the hungry crowds and the bread that satisfies. So first, let's look at the hungry crowds. So we always have to remember that when we read a story of Jesus, we have to think of the story that came before it. We look at this passage and and we read and we think, you know, why are they talking about bread? How did Jesus know they were looking for bread? And the story that comes before this one is when when Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five uh, small loaves and two fish, right? Now to us, uh, this miracle, feeding 5,000 people with that small amount of food would be amazing, right? It would be kind of like someone giving popcorn to everyone in, in a giant movie theater with one bag. Right? Though it would be a little gross, wouldn't that be awesome to witness? This unending bag of popcorn, right? That would be so cool. And it would have been even more amazing though for, for somebody if if this miracle had happened when you were in the time of Jesus. This is because one of the most important stories that you would have heard growing up would have been about your great, great, great grandparents being slaves in Egypt and about how God, through a man named Moses, freed them from their slavery and led them out of the hands of the Egyptians into the wilderness. And you would have heard stories about God through Moses providing for all their needs for food with something called manna. Now, manna, you probably have heard of about it before. It's, it's like a uh, uh, bread that would would appear in the Israelites' camp overnight for them to collect in the morning and eat. Every day. this bread would appear and it would give them nourishment for the day. It, it would It would feed them, it would fill them up. And you would have heard these stories as you were growing up as, as, a, as a Jew, about how your your ancestors were fed. And so seeing what Jesus did here with the crowds, you would have seen the connection between how God through Moses fed them when they were coming out of slavery and how Jesus seems to be able to do the same thing. And you think to yourself, maybe he is like Moses. And this is super exciting. This is super exciting. In the meantime... While this connection is happening in your head, Jesus went away from the crowds and headed to the other side of the lake. And so they go and search for him. And and we pick up in this passage when they find him and they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? See, the crowds are hungry still and they're searching for Jesus. But you see, they aren't just hungry for the bread because it was breakfast time. They're hungry for what the bread meant to them. They're hungry for that bread of the story. Remember, this miracle meant that they may have found the new Moses, the person who wouldn't save them from the hand of the Egyptians, but the hand of the Romans, the political control of the Romans that they found themselves in, the person who would once again free Israel from being captives to another nation. This miracle showed them that Jesus had power over things, that he may actually provide for everything that they need, They thought that the taste and smell of Jesus was the taste and smell of freedom and prosperity. Can we find ourselves in the crowds? What are we hungry for in our current time and place? Right? What does a savior mean to us right now? What does satisfying bread in a time of a pandemic or 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 this economic situation look like? You know, is it a vaccine? Is it a cure? Is it an economic boost? But instead of turning to the crowds and giving them more, Jesus tells them, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, don't look to me for what I did over there, feeding 5,000 people. Don't try to get food that will go bad, but food that endures for eternal life. In other words, Jesus says, you're looking for the wrong bread. and, And in fact, I can give you better bread. You know, notice that Jesus doesn't tell them, you have the wrong person. He says, you're looking for the wrong bread. Jesus goes on. He says, you want food that spoils, but you should work instead for food that doesn't spoil. Don't you love it when when all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting on the couch on a lazy Saturday afternoon and you remember there's leftover pizza hiding in the back of the fridge. And you'd forgotten about it for two weeks, right? And all of a sudden you remember it and you go to the fridge and you open up the fridge and you take the pizza out. And don't you hate it when you find out that something else has gotten to it before you did? Not someone, something. Mold, right? Food breaks down. Now, some of us would eat that pizza anyway, right? But Jesus is saying here, what we all know to be true about food, food spoils. Things that sustain us, bread, pizza, spoil. But Jesus says, I can give you something that doesn't spoil. And so the crowds respond to Jesus, what must we do for this sustenance? What must we do to work for this? What does it take to get this bread that doesn't spoil? And Jesus' answer is simple, believe in the one he has sent. Wait, we don't have to work for it? We don't need to impress anyone? We don't need to live a certain life to get it? No, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus isn't talking about literal bread here, right? But about the sustenance that bread provides, the nourishment, the sweet, sweet smell and taste of, of it. And he promises this, this sustenance, to all who come to him and believe in him. Jeff Vanderstelt Stelt is, is a Christian author, and I was reading this week uh, something that, that he points out to us. And, and he says that we uh, tend to describe people as fitting under uh, either of two categories, either a believer or an unbeliever. Right? Some people believe in Jesus and some people do not believe. And these are two basic categories that we can fit people in. And Jeff says uh, pretty pointedly that, that this isn't always true. And he says this, he says, I grew up believing that people fall into two categories. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. You either believe in Jesus and what he's done for us or you don't. Now, he says, after more than 25 years as a pastor, I see that every one of us is an unbeliever. Including me, at least in some areas of our lives. When I say unbelievers, I mean we still don't, we still have places in our lives where we don't believe God. There are spaces where we don't trust His Word and don't believe that what He has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ is enough to deal with our past or what we're facing in this moment or the next. He gives an example. He says, I struggle with unbelief on a daily basis. You know, having a conversation with my wife, and she points out something that I have yet to get better at, and I hear in my head the word failure. I try to lead a good conversation about the Bible at the dinner table with my kids, and instead of eager beavers on the edge of their seats, I get slouched bodies and rolling eyes, and I hear in my head, bad father. Do you ever have this? You see, what Jeff uncovers for us is that no matter who we are, we find ourselves in the crowds. At times in our lives, looking for the wrong bread, the bread of approval, or the bread of success, or the bread of control, or the bread of power. Wherever we believe in some Thing or someone other than Jesus for sustaining us, it will eventually spoil. And like a Band-Aid, when it gets ripped off and, un- and uncovers a tender cut or a scrape, w- when the spoiling bread disappears, it reveals our true brokenness again. Right? Spoiling bread only medicates situation. It doesn't heal. And Jesus says, if you come to me, if you believe in me, I can give you bread that doesn't spoil. I can heal you. I can sustain you no matter what happens personally, no matter what happens in the world. See, we all have areas in our lives where we hold on to things other than Jesus and where we don't believe in Him. And Jesus says, let go. We receive the bread that really satisfies. And so how do we do this? How do we receive the bread that satisfies? Well, to receive bread that satisfies, we not only have to identify areas of unbelief, but we have to preach the gospel to our hearts. And this is where we find hope in this passage. You see, Jesus uses some strange language in verse 51, where he says to the uh, crowds and to the disciples plainly, he says, this bread is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. You see, this is such a strange way to talk about it. You know, It makes even some people feel uncomfortable. Normally we would think of Jesus talking about his body as his bread, as the bread, and not his flesh. Right? Flesh, flesh is a, a strange way to talk about this. And, and it's actually two different words. The, the, the word in Greek for body and flesh, it's not just a translation thing. This is, this is Jesus being intentional and using the word flesh here to describe how, how we are sustained by him. Why? Why does he use this language? And why is it different than most other times when, you know, even in the the, um, other Gospels, when when it's the Last Supper and Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. It's a different word. Why does he use flesh here? And and one commentator I was reading this week puts it so well. He says, the alert reader will think of John 1.14, which says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the connection. It is the incarnate word, the logos, that Jesus is able to give his flesh for the life of the world. See, this word flesh points us to God's mission. The word became flesh. God became human. God himself, who became us, God came down and searched for us, came down to know us, came down to call us back to him. And he saves us from all the things that are in our flesh, namely our sin and, our, and the death that comes as a result of that. But also included is everything that comes with it. All the fear, all the anxiety, all the worry all the shame that are all part of human existence and all the things that we're tempted to look to other things to give us a sustenance against, Christ came for that. And on the cross, he offers his flesh for us and cries out, it is finished in that moment right he changed the course of history and he made obsolete every fear every worry every anxiety all the shame that we hold on to see there is no problem that jesus is not a cure for because he died Better yet, he rose from the dead and gives us the promise of resurrection and eternal life for all who come to him that nothing can take away. commentator I was reading put it like this. He said, when we recognize that his precious blood poured out on the cross has atoned for our sins, then we are eating his flesh and drinking his blood. When we believe, we enter into spiritual realities by his flesh and blood. He becomes our sustenance. His life becomes our life. And you may be thinking, you know, how do I know if I believe enough to be saved? Pastor Hayden, you've already said there's areas of unbelief in my life. How do I know if there's enough belief to away the unbelief? And we have to remember that it isn't the amount of our belief It's the object of our belief that saves us. It is his sacrifice on the cross that covers us. It is Christ crucified that gives us hope. Because this doesn't mean that we don't struggle with things still, with worry, with fear. Christians are unbelievers in parts of our lives too. But the more we believe in what Christ has done for us, the less we worry. The more we believe in what he says about us, the less we will care what others think. The more we think about his sacrifice leading to resurrection, the more we will be able to follow his example and do the same. And so what does it look like to replace unbelief with belief? Well, this is worship. Timothy Keller calls worship putting the gospel on video. Think about it. You can do things when you're listening to a podcast. You can drive. You can listen you can clean the house. You you can you can bake or cook dinner, you can do stuff, but you can't when you're watching a video. See videos capture our eyes and our ears. Our minds and our hearts. And this is how we learn to taste and smell the gospel. To believe what Jesus has done and the hope that we have in him in all the areas of unbelief in our lives. We put the gospel on video too. How do we do this? Well, this only comes through worship. Worship is the way that we learn to believe through singing with others, through praying to God in the morning alone or with a spouse, through fasting, right? Spiritual disciplines of fasting or repentance or silence or solitude, through reading scripture and and memorizing scripture. All of these forms of worship are what lead us to learn, to taste and smell Jesus as the true bread and the only bread that satisfies. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are a good father and you love your children and you care for us deeply. Help us to believe what you have done and who you are. Lord, help us to open up our eyes to see the places of unbelief and how we are um, medicating ourselves with with these um, these small distractions or these band-aids that cover up things that you can heal lord lord help us to replace our worry and fear and anxiety with with faith with assurance with hope lord give us your your holy spirit that we may feast on what you have done for us and father in this in this time of uh, uncertainty, uh, as we're forced to abandon gathering together in in a large church um, and and instead individually or in smaller groups, Lord, where there's a lot of uncertainty and fear. Lord, we pray for comfort. We pray that you would give us assurance that you are a God who knows a God who loves and a God who is working in our world. And Father, give us what we need to enter into difficult spaces in the coming weeks and to extend the presence of Jesus to those who we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.